the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Jesus Christ is no longer dead. You can't really say that about many people, can you? You know, he's dead, or he's not, or he hasn't died yet, but you can't say he's no longer dead, because Jesus was, and now he isn't. Now listen to this. This is from Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, rolled away the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards trembled in fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Just as he said. That's what they sang. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. My goodness, he had too. All right. So they hurried away from the tomb in fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Do not be afraid, said Jesus. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Sometimes we're told that to Christians, the cross is the central event of our faith. But it wasn't to early Christians. To early Christians, the resurrection was the simple or was the central event of their faith. In fact, they had a greeting. Early Christians, instead of saying hello, they said, He is risen. And the answer was, he is risen. Let's try that. He is risen. risen Now, as far as I know, I'm not a scholar, but as far as I know, that's how they said hello. It wasn't just at at this time of the year. Let's have a look at, uh, so so this, listen for a moment to Mark 8.31. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders chief priests and scribes, and that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. Now, why must this happen? That, that word really does mean must. It, of, it must of necessity, said the Amplified Bible. Some translations say he would have to. It had to be done that way. Why? Why did Jesus have to go through all this? What was the must about it? He didn't just say, hey, look, I've had an idea here. What do you think of it? Or this is one of the paths we could choose. Must. Why must? Why must? I'll repeat that because it was written in the Old Testament and had to be fulfilled in the prophecies. I'm doing that for the recording, all right? You're speaking clearly. Who else? Anyone else with an answer? Interesting, isn't it? So we've only got one answer to that. Why did Jesus Christ have to die? One reason is because he said so. Because he said so. And of course, Nicole is right too. The Old Testament did as well. And just a few weeks ago, I gave a sermon, and in the, in the talk that I gave here, I talked a bit about keeping promises. I, I said that Christians don't take an oath. We're not allowed to. The Bible says it. And we don't need to, because if we say we turn up on Thursday, we'll be there on Thursday. And if we say we'll pay our bill, we pay it. That's why people trust Christians. That's why they give us credit and, and loan us tools, even when there's a sign on the wall that says they won't. Because they know that if we're Christians, we'll pay 
when we owe, and we'll give the tools back, and we'll look after the stuff we borrow. They know that. We keep our promises. That's what Christians do. If you muck up, you let down Jesus, and you let us down too, because it means the Christian witness in our town isn't so good. We keep our promises because Jesus keeps his promise. Promises. Listen to this story. Just have to check it's there. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now what that word sign meant was like an, a proof, a, a, a proof that you really are who you say you are. They didn't just mean a road sign. They said, we want to see something happen that shows you really are who you say you are. Something tangible. Okay. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What a strange question. Show us a sign. In that exact chapter, which is Mark, sorry, Matthew 12, these things had happened already in this time and in this place, right where they were. A man with a shriveled hand stretched it out, and it was fully restored, and everybody saw it. Jesus, oh, that was in verse 13. In verse 15, it said that Jesus healed all the people who came to him. Everyone saw that. And in verse 23, there was a man who was blind and mute. That means he couldn't speak. And an evil spirit was cast out of him by Jesus, and he could speak and he could see. This has just happened, just happened. And yet these men say, show us a sign. What a strange question. And what a strange answer. Why didn't Jesus say, are you kidding? What about that man who just stretched out his hand and I healed it? What about all those people I healed? What about the blind and mute man who had the evil spirit cast out of him by me? That happened right here, right now. You've just seen it. But he didn't say that. What a strange answer Jesus gave. Now, just before that, in verse 33, whoops, hang on. I think I've gone too far there. Have I? No, I haven't. No, something's, uh, there was a, there'll probably be a one out of order there somewhere. Just before that, Jesus had said this. He said, a tree is recognized by its fruit in verse 33. And he could have said that, couldn't he? A tree is recognized by its fruit. Now, if you'd been there that day watching Jesus fruit, would you have thought he was a good tree? Would you have thought of he, he's the real deal? Now, Jesus had just said that. A tree is recognized by its fruit. But even that didn't seem to win them over. Now, why did he pick Jonah? Well, Jonah had his faults, but he makes us think of Jesus in this way. When Jonah was thrown out of the boat, was he kicking and screaming? Was he? In fact, whose idea was it to chuck him out? It was his own idea. And what he said was, and, and, and actually his companions argued, no, no, we, must, we, we mustn't do that. He said, yes, the storm is because of me, and if you throw me overboard... You will save your lives. So Jonah quite willingly at that stage, I wish he'd decided a bit sooner, but at that stage, Jonah decided to willingly lay down his life, because they're in the middle of the ocean, for his companions, who were people I don't think he even really knew. Now Murray's sermon a couple of days ago, he talked about the power of silence and how Jesus could have made a fuss, but he didn't. 
And while everybody's screaming and going mad and yelling out all sorts of accusations, Jesus stands in great quietness and peace. And I think that's what you'd have seen if you're on Jonah's ship too. Everybody's going off their head. We're dying here. And Jonah goes, no, just throw me over. It's all right. Because you see, to Christians, we are like that. I remember I heard a story that powerful influenced me about a man in Scotland who was about to be killed for his Christian faith. And they said, do you have any last words? And he said, yes, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. See, those last words show our peace, don't they? I heard about a man in Africa who was about to be killed for his faith. Do you have any last words? He said, yes, I owe Mr. Jones a chicken. Somebody please make sure he gets it. See? We keep our promises, don't we? Now, verse 40 says this. Sorry, keep looking around. Oh, there we are. There's <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a disadvantage not being able to say, to see. Some, something's been reordered there. Okay. Now, in verse 40, it says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If I told you that I was descended from Samuel Marsden, if I told you that I never have dirty thoughts, or if I told you that I gave a million dollars to World Vision, and later on you found that it wasn't true, you would not trust me very well, would you? Your trust in me would be lessened, because that's the way we are if people promise things. I want you to imagine a little boy, and he's just got... Uh, He's just got a message from his dad. It says, son, I'll be at your birthday party. And the little boy goes, he always says that. He hasn't even been there for the last three. He said he forgot it, and then he was too busy. Oh, dad. And then Uncle Charlie rings up and says, son, I'll be at your birthday party, nephew. <laughs> the boy goes, yay, Uncle Charlie's coming. Every year he comes to my birthday party. Last year when the floods were on, he borrowed a tractor and drove across the paddocks. Uncle Charlie will be at the birthday now, is that fair to judge people's honesty and trustworthiness by what they've done in the past? It is, isn't it? So if Jesus said he's going to be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, he has to be. Otherwise, how will we believe other promises he makes? Does it matter? Some Christians try not to think about it. Now, I'm not quite sure what's happened to these slides. There we go. Oh, well, so I'll take potluck. Now, there are four ways of looking at this. One is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, what, how long Jesus was. We just believe in him anyway. Um, I don't think that's a very good way of, it, of looking at things because actually things do matter. Number two is this. To the Jews, they counted any part of a day as a day. So they would say this. The people who, they'd say, well, Jesus was, was buried before the end of Friday, wasn't he? And he was in the grave all Saturday. And then Sunday had started when he came back to life. That was parts of three days. And that's the Jewish mindset. But what does it leave out? Jesus didn't just say, I'm going to be three days in the grave. Was, he said three days and three nights, didn't he? And he didn't say the grave, by the way, otherwise. Either. So let's have a bit of a look at, at, what, at, at some things that could affect this. Now, there we are. I've got the right one here. This is from 3 John 19. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was a special Sabbath. What was special about it? It was the feast of the Passover. This was the first day of unleavened bread, but the feast of unleavened bread started the next day. It was called the day of preparation. Now, somebody used to say to me when I was little, oh, day of preparation was always the day before the Sabbath, but they didn't have a day of preparation every Friday. 
They're getting ready for something very important and very spectacular to take place. What is it? The Passover. They're getting ready to, to do the Passover thing. It was the day of preparation. The next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. A special or high Sabbath, your Bible might say, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Why don't you have a bit of a look at this? I, oh, actually, it's quite clear, isn't it? You can see that. Now, I can't see it down the back, so I'm going to come around here. This was done by a man called Joseph Lakovsky, and he just reminds us of some things which we need to know when we read the Bible. At the top there, he reminds us that to the Jewish people, the day began at what time? Sunset. Can you see that? So, up the top there, he's written 14th of Nisan, 15th of Nisan, 16th of Nisan, and the 17th of Nisan. Those were the, that was the month when the Feast of Unleavened Bread was. And the feast began on the 15th. Now, you might say oh, it was Friday. No, actually, the feast began what we would call Thursday evening. That's, that's according to Joseph, you know, because obviously, because it, like our, our Easter celebrations today, this used to move, this feast would move to different days of the week. So what Joseph Lokovsky says is this, that at sunset on what we call Wednesday, but it was actually the beginning of the day of preparation, Jesus ate the Passover meal. What we call Thursday, but they still said was still the day of preparation, middle of Thursday, he was betrayed, or sorry, early Thursday morning, he was betrayed, he was tried, he was crucified, and he was buried before the end of what we call Thursday, but actually just before the end of what they call that day. And then you can see that he was in what, what, we would, what the Jews would say on the 15th, the feast. On the 16th, he was in the grave. And on the 17th, the day began, and partway through the day, what we call Sunday, he rose up. Now, if you look at that, you can see that Jesus was in the, the grave three days and three nights, even though one of the days was only a part of a day. But we're told that's how the Jews thought. What do you think of that? Does that make sense? You see, some, there are, I know there are a lot of Christians who go, oh, who cares, it doesn't matter. But to somebody like me, it actually does. Because Jesus said, look, all those things I've done, well, I won't even mention them. There's going to be one sign shown to show that I am who I am. It's going to be this. And he said exactly how it's going to be. I also read something from another man who's, who remains nameless. He's the editor of a, of a an outfit called Talk Genesis. And he says this, he says, there's such a strong tradition of Jesus being killed on Friday night. How could that be? Why do we think he was killed Friday night when this says he couldn't have been because we need to have three days and three nights? So this is what this man says. Now both of these men, but by the way, the first one I showed you, many scholars believe this. But this one I'm going to say now is a man who's thought about it and he's actually thought something different. We've, he says this, we've thought a lot about the three days and three nights, but not much about what it means to be in the heart of the earth. In the heart of the earth is an expression found nowhere else in the Bible. It doesn't say under the ground or in the belly of the earth. It's in the heart of the earth. And what he says is, this gives us a clue. You, you'll be thinking, well, how is that a clue? It says this, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country, what he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you and how the Lord brought lasting ruin upon them. Now, this says that he did these amazing things in the heart of Egypt. 
But he actually didn't do all those things in the middle of Egypt, did he? In fact, the horses and chariots weren't even in Egypt. So how was that in the heart of Egypt? This is how. Egypt was a proud and powerful country. The heart of Egypt was the glory and the majesty and the palace and the richness of Pharaoh, the prosperity and rich crops and animals that they had there. Oh, sorry, I'm hopping out of that camera, aren't I? And, and also the military power of Egypt. That was the heart of Egypt. And God, bit by bit, got each part of that heart the agricultural prosperity, he smote that. Pharaoh's own household got smacked. And then the mighty, almighty military power of this magnificent army was drowned in the sea. So what this man says is, that was the heart of Egypt. And this is what he says. I want you to think about it. And as always, you can think about it for yourself. He says this. He said, Jesus said, I will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, the earth and the land are the same words to the Jews. So in the heart of the land. And he says, what was the heart of the land? Well, the heart of that land was the Jewish authorities, Jerusalem, the temple, but also the Roman government as well. Pontius Pilate. The heart, the power, the center of that society was right there. And what he points out is many, many times the authorities, the religious authorities had tried to capture Jesus and they just couldn't. He walked away time after time. You know that, don't you? But this time he said, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth for three days. And Jesus willingly, like Jonah, gave himself up. He was betrayed he fell into the hands of evil men. He was judged. He was condemned. He was flogged. He was hung up and he was, and, and he was laid in a tomb. Now what this man says is, that's what the three days is. After a whole lifetime of being above the authorities of the earth, Jesus put himself down into the earth, into earthly authorities and rulers and doing things the earth's way for only three days. Because, he says, if you look at that, he says that three days after he fell into the hands of sinners, he rose from the dead. And that's your three days and your three nights, says this man. You can think about that yourself. He says, does the scripture back this up? Yes, it does. Where you see references to three days in the Bible, uh, in Matthew 16, it said he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests. Uh, in Matthew 17, he'll be delivered into the hands of men, crucified. In uh, Matthew 20, delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that's in Mark 10 too. Uh, in Luke 9, it says, He must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law. And what he says, and there's a few others, every time you hear about the three days, it begins with him being put in the hands of the earthly authorities. Worth thinking about? So he says this, Jesus was taken into custody for judgment Thursday night, tried and crucified on Friday, and then rose again early in the twilight of the morning on Sunday. Our three day and night timeline is complete. You see, some people will say this doesn't matter, but it does to me, because Jesus has to do what he says. Otherwise, how do we know he was telling the truth about the other things? And so when I read that the way I've been raised as a little boy didn't quite get it right, I'm rather relieved. 
I've given you two ways today that people can have a look and say Jesus was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights as he had to be. I also said that we judge whether to trust someone by remembering if we could trust them before. Jesus made a huge promise to us which gives us hope even in our darkest times. In Jesus, uh, sorry, in John 14, Jesus comforts his disciples by saying this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Why should we believe him? Because when it seemed impossible, he did what he said before. He was arrested. He was tortured. He was almost killed before being hung up to suffocate. He was taken down dead. He was buried. He was guarded. But he rose again as he said he would. So he will come back and he will take us to be with him. I want to read one more scripture. And I'm reading it straight out of the Bible, so I'll need my other glasses. This is from the end of Matthew. The eleven disciples went to the hill in Galilee where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, even though some of them doubted. Jesus drew near and said to them, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go then to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. You know what? I really believe that Jesus will be with us always to the end of the age because he did what he said before and he'll do it again. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church